Dr. Ellen Albertson, also known as the Midlife Whisperer, is back on Midlife Mastery. Her previous appearance is consistently one of the most popular episodes of the show, and she now has a new book out called Rock Your Midlife, Seven Steps to Transform Yourself and Make Your Next Chapter Your Best Chapter. So I was very excited to have her back on, and in this episode, she discusses several of the steps in the book, along with a few other key topics, including why midlife is a great time to transform ourselves, where to even begin your transformation, loving yourself and letting that inner self-critic go, how to create amazing energy in midlife, the importance of gut health and how to improve it, reprogram your mind, as well as rehabbing your relationships. So if you heard the past episode, you know that Ellen is high energy and brings a wealth of knowledge and simple practical ideas with a big impact. So I'm excited to have you listen to this episode. But before we talk about that, I want to know, have you listened to the episode with Claire and James Davis, also known as the Midlife Mentors? Now, they also brought a lot of joy and enthusiasm for living an amazing midlife and helping others do the same. So on that episode, just quick high level, they shared how our hormones are changing in midlife for both men and women and what we can do about it, some of the challenges that men face in midlife, self-talk and improving ourselves, a bit about their eight-week program to regain control of body, mind, and life, as well as improving communication with your significant other in midlife. So another great episode that I really, really enjoyed having them on. And after you listen to this episode, please check out their podcast. I've personally been binging on their show lately and really, really enjoy it. They have that same fun, enthusiastic, and yet knowledgeable and practical approach that you heard here. And the last thing I want to mention before we start our episode is thank you for the reviews. So I just want to give a shout out to, uh, on Instagram, her name is I do part two. And she said, so encouraging. Your voice is so needed. As a Gen Xer, I appreciate your encouragement to try new things and to focus on consistency rather than the finish line. Love, take time to pause and reflect on how far we've come. Kudos. So I do part two. Thank you so much. Love those reviews. Please, everyone, keep them coming. It lets me know what you enjoy about the show and also lets others find the show. But now, let's get started. Ellen, you've been on the show before, your previous guest. In fact, that episode called Rock Your Midlife is a popular episode. It, it connected with people. So I'm excited to have you back on because you've got a book coming out, which is also called Rock Your Midlife. And I think the subtitle is Seven Steps to Transform Yourself and Make Your Next Chapter Your Best Chapter. So love the title. For those who haven't heard the previous episode, can you just give a, a quick introduction? Who are you and what are you about? Sure. Well, I'm all about helping women rock their midlife. So I'm glad that people want that. And we were talking off the air about how women and men, I think people are really wanting to transform the way that we view midlife, which is why you've got, you know, your podcast is all about that. And there's so many of us doing it in lots of ways, just in terms of quickly on my background. So I have been working with people around health and wellness for about 30 years. I started my career as a registered dietitian nutritionist, very quickly realized that I didn't have the tools to get people to transform. I could tell them what to eat, what not to eat, how to move, but that actual underlying behavioral change piece I was missing. So I went on to become a fitness trainer and a coach and eventually a psychologist. And in between all of that, I had a very rich career in the media. So I'm very excited to, you know, having worked with this fascinating demographic. I love working with people at midlife. Um, it's such an incredible 
period of time to transform yourself. And so I've taken my own personal story of transformation, the personal story of many of my clients, my 30 plus years of experience, kind of put it all in a blender and come out with this book, Rock Your Midlife. So I'm super excited to also jump back into the media and be sharing this with a larger and larger um, population of people. Why is midlife such a great time to transform ourselves? That's such a good question. Well, there's a couple of reasons. I think that when we reach midlife, however you want to define that, I think a pivotal point is that we're realizing that there is less time in front of us than behind us. So realizing like, oh my God, I'm running out of time. I think, you know, before midlife, we're like, I'm going to live forever, right? Like when you're a teenager, it's like, I'm going to be here forever. You get this sense that I'm running out of time. That's the one piece that happens. Another piece, which is so interesting, is that there is a U-shaped happiness curve that crosses across countries. They, They looked at 132 countries and found that it predictively dips and is at its lowest at 47.2. So when we hit this midlife snag, universally, there's a sense that I'm just not happy. And so, you know, when we're unhappy, it's kind of like, and again, with women, we're also going through menopause. So there's this physiological transformation. There might be moving into empty nest, or maybe you're contemplating, you know, divorce or separation. You might have aging parents. So there's this big period we're in this crucible, right? In this place where we're being called to transform if we want to make what I like to call our second adulthood, our second chapter, second act amazing. So I think it's like we look at, you know, I have a lot of clients that come to me and they're like, I'm just really unhappy. My life looks great from the outside, right? I've got, you know, the the spouse, the house, the 2.5 kids, the dog, the career, the bank account, all that stuff. But inside, I'm just not joyful anymore and something's got to shift. So I think that there's so many reasons that this period of life is really ripe for transformation. And if you do it, I did it. I went through that crucible. I left a 24-year marriage. I went through a health crisis, screwed up a lot. And have come out the other side. And my, you know, I'm looking and I was, I was visiting my parents who are in their 80s and 90s. And they're like, your 60s and 70s, your 50s, 60s, 70s can be so incredibly rich, particularly if you take care of your health, if you know who you are, if you do all these steps. So yeah, it's a great opportunity to change the way you're living your life. You know, what you just say, that's the case that we often just get to this point in life where yeah, we're not where we thought we would be, or we're not who we thought we would be, or we're wondering who we are. We're wondering who the person we, you know, <laughs> our significant other is, whatever it is. It almost feels like time for a change. And it seems like some people don't make that change. You know, they just kind of adopt this. This is my trajectory. Cause you mentioned we have less time ahead of us than behind us. So I guess they're just going to, to grind it out till the end, which sounds horrible. So I'd love the idea of transforming And I also know that, you know, if transforming were simple or obvious, you know, we'd already be there. So what do we do to start shifting? Like, so we've got the desire, we wake up one day, we look around, like, I need something different. I don't have that joy. Even Maybe it's just an unsettled feeling. Where do we go from there? Yeah, such a great question. Well, my first step really is getting to know who you are. So when I work with clients, we really dig deep to figure out who the heck am I? Like, when was the last time you sort of looked at what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What do I love to do? What am I great at? 
getting curious about what really lights you up, looking at what you love to do as a kid. Like for me, the first thing I ever thought I wanted to be was a writer, you know, and here I am. But so that's the first step is really knowing who you are in terms of the unstuckness. You've got to do something. And in my book, I actually have 21 things that people can do. If you do anything to get unstuck, like you started a new workout routine, right? You trainer, you started doing some marathoning, you know, whether that's changing your hair color, changing the way you dress, driving to a new, a new direction when you go to work in the morning, starting a new exercise routine, you know, reading the the Washington Post instead of the New York Times, you've got to do something different. I mean, Joe Dispenza talks a lot about this where we just, you know, keep doing the same things and getting the same results. He's like, you've got to break the habit of being yourself. Or Einstein talks about, you know, if you keep doing the same old thing, you're going to get the same old results. So you've got to do something to get unstuck. And, you know, the first step really is figuring out who the heck are you, what lights you up, what do you love to do, and then doing more of those things which energize you, which light you up, and less of those things that you don't like to do anymore. So just really ask, like, how do I want to feel? What lights me up? What are those things that are going to help me feel that way? Maybe I want to feel more energized, more joyful, more excitement. So then you can sort of look at what could I do starting today to have more of those feelings in my life. It seems kind of, I don't know, counterintuitive is the right word or not, but you know, so at 50 or whatever age we are, you know, we've lived with ourselves. We've known ourselves out long. Why is it that we kind of forget who we are, you know, don't recognize who we are now, despite all this experience of being with ourselves, if that makes sense? Yeah. I mean, I think part of it is that we haven't cultivated that observer, you know, we get very stuck in this egoic way of being this, you know, who am I? Am I, you know, a daughter, a wife, a worker, you know, an American, what race am I? This, we, we get really in this sense of, we have this uh, default mode network that runs down the middle of our brain. That's trying to define us. That's our ego. That's looking around for self-definition 24 seven. And so we don't cultivate the habit in a particular in our society where we're constantly like looking at screens, trying to figure out where's my ranking at Instagram, you know, where am I at to step outside and say, you know, who am I really? That's like that Zen cone of like, you know, who were you before your mother existed? Like, who am I in more of the soul sense? And that's just not something, you know, in our culture where we have a very materialistic culture. Again, we're looking at screens and very much our brains are kind of being dragged into a different trajectory instead of going out in nature and taking a long walk or just spending some time in quiet or journaling, reading, thinking. I think that's something that we don't cultivate and we've got so much going on. That's another thing at midlife, right? So we've got, you know, kids and parents and a job and health issues and it's all there's a lot of uncertainty with the world right now. And so we don't actually step back and think about who am I really? What is it that I really want? So I'm hoping this book gives people an opportunity to take a breath and, and do some soul searching. Well, so, all right. So we figure out who we are and I, I believe that the next step then is befriending yourself. And so if we think about kind of the, the, the seven steps you have to, to transformation, well, first off, why aren't we already a friend with ourselves? And I guess that the second half of that is, so how do we befriend ourselves? Like if we haven't made friends by this time, like what can we do? 
Yeah, great question. Again, this is something that is a deep-seated pattern. So when we're kids, our caregivers, you know, our teachers, our parents, even our peers tell us the way we're supposed to behave. We have sort of these social contact tracks, like your mom might tell you, you know, you get good grades, clean your room, you know, finish your plate, but stay skinny, especially if you're a woman. These things that we our, our caregivers tell us, they criticize us. And then what ends up happening is as we become adults, we internalize the self-critic. Because when we're little, if we don't follow our teachers, our parents, our peers, well, then we could be ostracized. We could, you know, not get love, not be cared for. We are in danger. So we learn early on to pay attention to these criticisms, internalize that voice. Then we become adults and our modus operandi isn't, oh, I'm doing this because I love myself and I care about myself. I'm doing this because I've been bad. It's sort of beating us ourselves up having our self-critic. I work with a lot of people and it's hard for them to let the self-critic go. They've got this constant, I don't know how it is for men, but the women I work with have this constant, you know, monkey on their back telling them that they're not good enough. And so we're taught not to love ourselves. You know, we don't see it. I didn't see it in my mom. My mom wasn't like, oh my God, I love myself. I, you know who I am. It was a lot of not being okay with who we are. So we've had this as a role model. We internalize that. The good news is that you can learn to love yourself. As someone who personally, I, I had so much self-loathing. I had clinical depression. I was incredibly hard on myself, you know, always thinking, well, if I get one more degree, you know, first it was like, get your, you know, your undergraduate from an Ivy League. And that wasn't good enough. And then it was like, okay, so let's get a master's and become a dietitian. And then it was get a PhD. But I would always get to that place. And it was like I had this backpack of self-loathing or someday I'll feel okay with me. I'm carrying that into my future instead of being okay with where I'm at right now. But the good news is that you can learn to love yourself. It's uh, really a matter of practicing what's called self-compassion, which is essentially treating yourself the way you would a good friend. So when you hear that critics, you just be like, okay, go sit in the corner, take a little time out. Let's develop this new voice, which is called self-compassion, asking, you know, what do I need right now? How am I feeling? What do I need to feel better in my life? So it's very doable, but you have to kind of start small and work on cultivating that self-compassionate voice and practice. Yeah. One, one of my favorite books is Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It by Kamal Ravikant. I don't know if mm -hmm. you've seen that one. Very, very short book, but yeah, it really highlights this that so often we just don't love ourselves or, and it almost feels weird sometimes maybe for, for people to say, you know, Hey, I love myself. I'm a friend of myself. You know, I like myself. I like who I am that, you know, from, from my own experience that can be, I don't know, rougher than, rougher than it sounds. It sounds like, well, of course I love myself. Of course I like it myself, but like you, you mentioned even, you know, just kind of the journey is not instantaneous. All right. So it, it, who, who are we? And by the way, I like, my, I like who I am. So get, getting to those points, kind of the first two steps in which in my mind would create huge transformation right there. Just getting clear on who we are and, and being, being really good with that, not just okay with it, but, but really appreciating who we are and treating ourselves like we would treat a friend. So I, the, the next one, uh, I believe, is energize yourself. And the last time you were on, we actually talked a, a little bit about energizing yourself and diet and, and all that. So where do people start there on, on the energy piece? 
Yeah. Um, and the energy piece is really important because if you want to have a great next chapter, you've got to be healthy. And wherever you are, if you are breathing, more is going right than going wrong. You have like 30 trillion cells that are all working together to keep you alive so that, you know, it falls in with that loving yourself because loving your body is a piece of who you are. So is it really isn't rocket science. You know, I've been a dietitian for almost 30 years and it's simply eating more plants. It's eat more plants. Don't eat anything your grandmother wouldn't have eaten. So getting away from the processed foods, focusing more on whole foods, and then eat till you're satisfied, not stuffed. Eat like 80% of what you normally eat. And this whole diet industry is completely out of control. It doesn't have to be complicated and you don't have to do it all at once. So you might be like, okay, I'm going to just carry an apple in my bag. And when I need a snack, I'm going to eat the apple. I always carry an apple and like some nuts with me. You want to, so you want to, you know, switch up your diet and improve your diet. And really the whole foods plant-based is the one diet that does it all. It really is the diet that helps to energize you and also prevent so many of the diseases that people really want to avoid, like cancer and heart disease, you want to move your body. So, you know, moving your body for at least 30 minutes a day, but also don't sit. So I have a standing desk. I'm sitting now, but I stand probably 75% of the time. Um, really sitting is kind of like the new smoking. There was so much research pointing to the fact that um, sitting really, it turns on that couch potato mode. So our body can be either in hunter-gatherer mode where we're, you know, moving and we're metabolizing and we're active, or we can be in couch mode. And that's kind of the body, the way the body is designed to be, because again, we're programmed to survive hundreds of thousands of years ago, where if you could sit around and eat as much food as available, you survived. Whereas today, if you do that, you know, it's not the best thing for your health. So moving your body more and again, exercise doesn't have to be punishment. If you are into CrossFit, great, go for it. But if you are want to walk, do yoga, dance, um, moving your body is really key. Rest is also really, really important. And I find a lot of people have trouble sleeping at midlife. So working on, you know, a bedtime routine, getting your bedroom in order, and also just rest, relaxation, dealing with stress. We don't learn, you know, stress reduction techniques. And I talk a lot about these in the book, you know, breathing techniques, things like box breathing, which is actually used by the Navy SEALs to keep them calm where you breathe in for four, you hold it for four, you exhale for four, and then you breathe in for four. Doing that for 30 seconds to a minute, what it'll do is it will calm down your fight and flight sympathetic nervous system and fire up your rest and digest parasympathetic nervous system. If people just did that, like when you're feeling stressed and anxious, you've got this technique with you all the time you're breathing. And there's other things like, you know, getting out in nature, spending time with people that you love, doing more of what you love. So I talk in the book both about sort of the physiology of exercise and rest and, you know, nutrition requirements of people at midlife. And then also a little bit about just that we are energetic beings. You know, every cell of your body comes from sunlight. We either eat plants or we eat animals that ate the plants. And, and you know, if you look at quantum physics, you realize that matter and energy are interchangeable. And so you have to start to think about yourself as an energetic being doing more of those things that energize you and less of those things that drain you. You know, you, you mentioned the the breathing and I'd, I'd heard at one point, you can tell me if this is true or not, but that like a lot of times when we're sitting so much, we adopt a, a very shallow breathing. We don't breathe deep, but our brain registers that as danger. 
because when we're in danger, our breathing speeds up and, you know, we, it gets shallow. And so we spend the whole day stressed out almost because we're just not breathing deep. It, it, did I get that right? Is there any truth to that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, what happens is when you, when, you know, you, you're in a cortisol shitstorm, right? So let's say, you know, somebody cuts you off when you're driving or your boss or spouse does something to you, or you read something or see something in the news that upsets you, your body gives off cortisol, which is the hormone of fight or flight. And what that does is it puts you in this mode where, you know, you're breathing, changes, you're breathing, like you said, more shallowly. And a lot of us, we just breathe from our chest. We don't know how to do the belly breathing like babies do. You know, your pulse goes up, you know, your blood pressure goes up and we go into this, this place of inflammation, which is really at the root of so many of our um, chronic diseases. I mean, you know, people like Deepak Chopra say that, you know, 80% of disease is lifestyle related. Like only 20% is inherited. We all have inherited things and genes that turn off and on, but by eating right, learning to relax, doing the breathing, keeping our body more in that rest and digest place, we can stay much healthier, much happier and live longer. So, I mean, you'd mentioned also the plant-based whole food. What's, what's the importance of that? I mean, I, we hear a lot about it, but what difference does both the, the plants part make and just the whole food part make? Sure. Well, the plant part is that plants contain hundreds of different phytochemicals. So these are not, but not, you know, macro or micro, but they are chemicals that really keep our body healthy and fight disease. So you might've heard things like lycopene, which is what makes um, tomatoes red or gosh, I'm, I'm, um, I'm blanking out oh, carotenoids, which give you know carrots their orange color. All of these phytochemicals, you know, have abilities to fight diseases throughout your body. And so you can't get those in a pill. So we, you know, you're getting all of these phytochemicals. The other thing about plant foods, you're getting again vitamins, you're getting minerals and also some macronutrients. You're also getting fiber. And so fiber is the part of plant foods that we don't digest. So they are can be soluble or insoluble. The insoluble ones are, you know, sort of you think about the fibrous part of plants. They fill us up. They help keep our digestive system working properly. They feed what's called your microbiome. So that's a big piece of it is we have about three or four pounds of microorganisms living in our body. They're like, you know, they're, we live with in symbiotic relationship with most of them. So they are bacteria, they are, you know, some viruses some parasites, but a lot of them actually help us digest our food. They interact with our immune system. And this whole microbiome is kind of this whole new scientific frontier. We're finding that it helps our immune system. It helps maintain our weight. The microbiome also can help our mental health. So the plant foods feed the microbiome because it lives off of the parts of plants that we don't digest. And then there's also soluble fiber. The soluble fiber actually helps to do things like lower cholesterol. The fiber helps to keep our blood sugar level regulated, keeps food. It takes longer to digest. You know, think about like I could have hundred calories of an apple or I could have hundred calories of a soda. The soda is going to spike your blood sugar level, not give you any nutrition. The apple is going to give you all of this nutrition, the soluble fiber, insoluble fiber, lots of um, these phytochemicals, and it's going to keep you feeling full. So plant eating more plants is great for also maintaining your weight because, you know, think about it. If I eat a huge salad, 
I'm going to be really, really full versus if I just like eat a burger and fries, I don't have this bulk of food. I don't have the water that comes with it. So, so many things to love about plants. And there's also research for the women who are listening. If you're going through menopause, these fibers actually also help to maintain a better hormonal balance. So that's kind of the the plant foods. And of course, there's also the piece that eating more plants is great for the planet. So it takes so many, I know you're from Texas, so it's like, you know, beef, beef play, beef capital. I'm in Vermont. We've got a dairy barn out back, but animal products take a lot more resources on the planet. So if you're thinking about wanting to help save the planet, help with, you know, climate control, that type of thing, starting small, just saying, you know what, I'm going to have a meatless meal once a week, or maybe I'm going to have meatless breakfast or, or lunch. It's not hard to do. And then you're also getting all of the benefits of plants. And so the whole foods piece is just we're not made to eat a bunch of chemicals. I mean, that's those are not, when you see all of the chemicals that are in foods, those aren't things that your body evolved to utilize. And some things, particularly, you know, in America, we have some chemical additives that other countries don't have because they are potentially um, dangerous. So lots of reasons to eat whole food plant-based. And again, don't need to, to do it all overnight. You can if you want, but you can just start small. You mentioned like the gut biome, and I think we talked about this uh, the last time you were on as well. And in fact, I think I, I mean, you mentioned it, it's a couple pounds of bacteria and all that. And I, I think I'd heard at some point that we actually have, you know, more gut bacteria cells than we do like human cells, like our own body, which is kind of weird to think about. But you mentioned a symbiotic relationship. And I've also heard that the gut referred to as kind of the second brain that there's a lot that comes out of it. And I'm speaking as a total layman who has heard stuff. I'm not an expert in any of this, but you know that even like serotonin is produced in our gut and all that. So what are some additional steps we can take to really turn our gut biome around? Because I, I, my understanding is that some of our our medicines, some of our processed food and all that is detrimental to the gut biome. So beyond plants, I, I guess, what can we really do to help that flourish? Yeah, that's a great question. So I would say also... Go easy on the sugar and the alcohol because that tends to feed, you know, if you've got, you've got good bacteria and, you know, good microbiome components and bad. And so things like alcohol and sugar tend to feed like the yeasts and things that aren't so bad, that aren't so good. So watch out for, you know, curtail that eating more plants. The other thing we can do too is eat what's called probiotic food. So we talked about kind of the prebiotics, which are the fibrous foods that the micro things in your microbiome feed on and get healthy. And then there's the probiotics, which are actually bacteria itself. So you can take a probiotic supplement with things like acidophilus, or you can also eat probiotic foods. So I make kombucha. Uh, My fiance makes sauerkraut. Like we grow our, literally grow our sauerkraut, grow the cabbage, make, we make sauerkraut. Um, Yogurt's really good. So any kind of fermented food, kombucha, those things are really good. It's also really good to garden. So like get out in the the dirt. I think something that happened is, you know, several, it was probably, I think in the nineties, we got onto all these bacterial soaps, right? And so we've got these microorganisms also living on the surface of your skin. So, you know, making sure to to swap out the chemicals that you're using. So using more earth-friendly soaps and hair products and, you know, personal care products, laundry detergents, things like that, getting out in the dirt. So actually, you know, we garden and, you know, I walk barefoot, just getting out there. Actually, I'm not saying going out there and eat dirt, but, you know, being in engaged with your own environment, playing with pets is really powerful too. There's actually been some research that 
kids who have like dogs have a different microbiome than kids who don't. So there's so many ways. And I detail this a lot in the book about specifics that you can do, but it's a, it's a fascinating area of research. I know when I was becoming a dietitian, we didn't talk about that at all. And now there's actually a whole area that's actually looking at like psycho nutrition and how the foods that you eat in your microbiome can actually impact your mental health. And they're also even doing things that sounds kind of gross, but fecal transplants with some with people and animals and looking at like, if you take a, you take a mouse that has depression and you do a fecal transplant into a regular mouse, the other mouse will start to act that way. So there's a lot of really interesting research that's coming um, out about all of this. I guess that makes sense if, you know, if the microbiome is and I don't know the mechanism, but whether it's generating or helping generate or triggering some of those hormones, the serotonin and all that, how, if the biome's not working right, you know, the, the rest of it's not going to work right. And if we get that working right, then it, it does affect the, the mental piece. So yeah, very, very interesting and interesting to think that we can change that with some very simple things, but I would also guess that's also hard to diagnose. Like just, you know, it's hard to recognize that, oh my gut biome's off, <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, certainly, I mean, I think it's easier. You can be, you know, you can diagnose it. I mean, so you can go to like to a naturopath and have certain mm. like fecal tests and things to get that done. But also, you know, how is your gut working? How is your mood? And also, do you know what? I'm just going to sit down with somebody. I'm going to look at their diet. So are you eating a lot of refined carbohydrates? Again, not eating a lot of plant foods, and it's pretty easy to diagnose the look at the diet, maybe not diagnose, but but analyze what, what your diet looks like, make some determinations about what needs to shift. Okay. Yeah. So so whole food plant-based, get more exercise, get better sleep, spend some time in nature. So what else can can we do to help transform ourselves? Yeah, well, the next step is reprogramming your mind. And I think, and these all, you know, they all interrelate. So it's like the body, the mind, the spirit, emotions, everything is connected. You know, we, we're starting to realize how interconnected, like you can have a thought and that can generate cortisol and stress you out and that's going to affect your body. So the next step is really reprogramming your mind. So I find, you know, we, we talked off air about the difference between men and women in midlife. When you're going through menopause, a lot of times, you know, you can get brain fog, or I'm sure men have that too with, you know, they've let themselves go. They're not getting enough fresh air, exercise, movement. Their body is feeling, you know, heavy and it starts to impact your mind, not having that kind of clarity. And what's exciting is that there's this thing called neuroplasticity. So we used to think that once you reached adulthood, 18, your mind, your brain stopped changing. But now we realize that the whole nervous system is constantly evolving and changing and growing, not at the rate it does with like, you know, a four or five-year-old where they're rapidly learning, but you can literally reprogram your brain. So like in my own case, you know, I had clinical depression. I was on antidepressants in my, I think, early mid fifties. And by, you know, working on my well-being, by doing things like meditating, by analyzing my thoughts, by really working on having more positive thoughts, less negative thoughts, slowing down, being more, you know, self-aware, I really changed my brain and I don't have depression anymore. I'm not an antidepressant. The self-love, self-compassion piece really helped, but there is so much that we can do to reprogram our brain so we can go from muddy waters to crystal springs. And there's also, I give people a lot of mind techniques that they can use for things like memory. Like when I meet somebody, I'm terrible at remembering names. So I'll have to, you know, like if I see someone, I have a friend named Charlie. So I'll picture him on a Harley, <laughs> like, on a, you know, so I'm like, okay, Charlie's on the Harley, but there are 
are a lot of things that you can do. You're not, you know, losing your mind, but I think it's a bit like, you know, if you've seen that, I'm trying to remember that Disney, that Pixar movie about emotions, but our brain kind of cleanses itself. So it, you know, we can only hold so much in storage. So it sort of prunes itself. So we have to kind of work and see what do I want to move into long-term memory. So, you know, it's not that we're you're losing your mind or, you know, you're having some kind of dementia, but the, the mind does kind of, it gets a little harder to, you know, I know my memory isn't as good. I can't remember a lot of like, I could never do the calculus and things that I did in my earlier years, but there's so much that we can do to reprogram our mind and also to work on our emotions so that we are happier, more joyful, feel more fulfilled. I know this is a, a little bit of an aside here, but you mentioned kind of the memory piece. So I want to ask about it because I've noticed that I can remember the lyrics to a song I haven't heard in 25 years, but I ha- sometimes don't remember the coworker who's just down the hall from me, like, what's their name again? <laughs> like, and, and that's so baffling to me. What are some things that we can do that does help with, with memory? I mean, I'm at this point in our lives, are, yes, our brains are full. We've taken a lot in or they're trying to work things out. But is there anything we can do to just kind of help with that? Sure. Well, first, just to, to analyze the, the songs, that's a different part of our brain. Mm. which is why you have these like these choruses of people who've been through stroke and they are have some dementia, but they can sing songs Mm. because it's a different part of our brain. So I would say one of the biggest thing to to do is write it down. So when you write something down, whether that's a goal, whether that's a coworker's name, you know, I can see you've got like post-it notes, you know, in your (laughs) office there, what you're doing is you're helping move that thought into long-term memory. So that's a really good way to improve your memory. So writing things down, that trick I said before of associating someone with something that rhymes with their name or, you know, something like, you know, I have a friend named Alice. So, you know, again, thinking of Alice in Wonderland, seeing her, you know, dressed like that. So using those kind of tricks and tips, you know, and I think it's also just okay to be like, oh my gosh, I forgot your name. I'm so sorry. I mean, I I had someone, and I talk about it in the book, literally a next door neighbor. And I was at a party and I could not, it happens to me all the time. I could not remember her name. So I think we all kind of understand that this is something that happens and it's not that you're losing your mind. It's just a normal part of the aging process because your brain's just trying to clean itself out to make room for other things. I think also slowing down can be really helpful, being more mindful. So instead of having your mind full, practicing mindfulness. So noticing what you're experiencing, why you're experiencing it. So when you meet someone new, looking them in the eyes, saying their name over and over again in your head, really connecting with them and who they are and being very focused, not thinking about, you know, grabbing your phone or your to-do list or what you're having for supper that night, but really trying to work on mindfulness, which is again, another um, thing that we can cultivate, which is going to just help us to enjoy our lives more because all we have is this present moment. Thank you. Cause that's uh, very relevant to, to my mind around the whole memory piece here. So I'm glad I'm not alone in there. All right. So, so we've covered a lot, you know, who am I befriending myself, energizing yourself. So so I like we, we kind of got this, you know, kind of our identity piece. We, we've got just fueling the energy because so often uh, midlife to me feels like, a, you know, kind of a spiral. Things feed into other things, right? Like if I don't know who I am, if I'm not happy with things, well, then I have less energy. I'm less inclined to get up and go do the things. I go to comfort foods, you know, so that 
the, the better, I guess I'm just thinking through this, you know, the better I'm feeling about myself, I'm, you know, better mental outlook, then it seems like it's easier. I, w- I want to do those things. You know, I, I want to do the things to tap into that energy, the, the reprogramming the brain. What, what else are we often missing or where else do we get in our own way in midlife? Uh, sure. And I, I want to say, Brock, too, that you can enter any of the steps. So I think anyone can pick up Brock your midlife and enter any of the steps at any point. I know for me, the loving myself is a huge point because when you love yourself, you stop doing things that insult your soul. You stop, you know, having that threesome with Ben and Jerry's because, you know, it's not in your best interest. You get out of those crappy relationships. You, you know, switch that career or job because it's not fulfilling and it's toxic and making you, you know, you not feel good. So that's a huge one that's going to, you know, inform all the other steps. I think really important one to think about is also your relationships, which is step six is rehabbing your relationships. Because what happens is as you start to transform the other people around you may not like the new you, recognize the new you here like, hey, I'm a butterfly, look, my wings, they're drying. And they're like, wait, no, you're a caterpillar. You're definitely a caterpillar. You are not that butterfly. So this is a really sticky one. I know when I transformed, I lost a lot of friends, but they weren't really the people who loved, got me and supported me. And I think some of the beauty of midlife is we develop new friendships, people who we really vibe with who really we want to carry on along with us in this second chapter. So I give people techniques. I mean, one of the things is probably a bigger issue with women than men is just letting that good girl and people pleaser go. I know I had like a devil of a people pleaser, like conflict adverse, didn't want to, you know, I've got a Libra moon, so I'm all about balance in relationships, right? But, you know, sometimes like I had to fire somebody, you know, a couple of weeks ago about on my book, you know, team that wasn't doing a great job. That was really hard, but I've learned to let the people pleaser go and do the right thing to say yes when I mean yes and no when I mean no. I talk about creating a bill of rights, your own personal bill of rights about, you know, what you are entitled to. You know, I'm entitled to feel good. I'm entitled to express my thoughts, my emotions, my feelings. I'm entitled to have downtime. I'm entitled to do nothing at all. You know, I'm entitled to to say what I what I mean and mean what I say. So I give people tools to come up with, you know, what do you want to stand for in your life? And also core values are another thing that I discuss in the book of just figuring out like what do you stand for when you look back on your life, when you're, you know, in your 80s, 90s, and you look back on this moment in time, what do you want your life to have stood for? And you let that inform your decisions. And also, you know, things like health and wellness. Like I have a lot of clients are all about family. So when they know that family is important, they eat right because they want to be around for their kids, their grandkids. They want to be a good example. So looking at your core values is super powerful. And then I also talk about something called nonviolent communication, which is a really powerful technique that you can use to communicate your needs, your feelings, what's going on in your life. Instead of, I have a lot of clients who they have like throat issues because they just swallow their thoughts, their feelings instead of expressing themselves. So that is really important. And then, you know, the final step is just enlightenment, just having some type of spiritual practice, something in your life that gives you meaning and purpose, something that you are, you know, hopefully doing in the world to make a difference. We're all here to make a difference. So you might be impacting, you know, a handful of people, that's huge. Or maybe you're impacting hundreds of thousands of people, but you're here for a reason. You, you know, wanted to be born at this time. And having that mission in your life, like having a mission statement, having something that brings you joy, 
gives you a sense of meaning and purpose, can really move you forward and really help you to rock your midlife. Well, you had mentioned early on the phrase, breaking the habit of being yourself. And it, it strikes me that at this point in our life, many of our relationships could be habits. Like we just, <laughs> we, we're, we have a relationship with that person because we've had a relationship with that person for years, not necessarily that's who we would choose today. And you mentioned having to, to let relationships go, but of course that's probably easier said than done. Maybe. I mean, it, it's a, a, a simple thing, but I don't know that it's an easy thing or maybe it is. I mean, so from, from your own experience, what was that like as you were kind of I don't know, pruning your relationships, reflecting on them, deciding which to keep, which to start letting go? Yeah, it's. I think that's one of the stickiest things because we have these things called mirror neurons. So people are programmed to interact with other. And so, you know, the, someone that you've lived with for a long time, there's certain you're comfortable with these conversations. And it's sort of, I always think of that YouTube song, you know, with or without you with my ex-husband. And it was like, you know, there was all of this love, but then there was difficulty and, and he wasn't changing in a way that was vibing with where I'm living, where I was going. So it is really hard. It is really hard. I would, I always recommend my clients, if you're, you know, in a long-term relationship and it's not working to try to work on it. And I give lots of tips in the book of things that you can do, getting curious about, you know, your partner, doing some new things together going out with other couples, all of these things can help you grow as a couple to, to prototype making it better. And then, you know, if it really feels like it's something that you want to shift prototype, you know, separation, maybe do a trial separation, talk to some friends who've been through divorce, maybe, you know, talk to a, a counselor, but really prototype both things, you know, in terms of friends, I've worked a lot with this with, with my clients. And what happens is when you prune those friends away, you create space for something new. So I had a client I was working with the other day and this person in her life, this supposed friend was just always using her and there was not a give and take. And so now, you know, somebody she sees because the, the person may have the kids that are the same age. So, you know, they're not tight friends, but it's created space to create some new friends. And I think at midlife, it, friendships are so, so important that we at any point in our life. But I think midlife is, a, is an area where it can get a little sticky, where people forget, like, especially if you don't have kids in school anymore you know, we're still in this uncertainty around the pandemic. So it's a little hard to, to, you know, just go to a class depending on where you live, but it's really important to nourish and nurture those friendships that really help you uh, get the support you need to rock your midlife. Well, as we start wrapping up today, Ellen, um, like what have we missed? I, I mean, I know there's a lot to this, but any kind of, kind of final thoughts or recommendations to, to people? Yeah, well, there's always, you know, certainly the start where you are, you are enough, you have everything you need. And, you know, I'm a psychologist, but I am not a psychotherapist. And I like that I'm a coach. And so when I start with people, think about who do you want to be? You know, what do you want your life to look at? Or even as simple as how do you want to feel? If we start with this feeling, so kind of I, our thoughts are like the scaffolding of our blueprint for what we want. So keeping your thoughts positive, creating that scaffolding. And our emotions are like the energy that um, magnetizes what you want. Like if you had told me four years ago when I was you know, still married, that I would be living on this beautiful island with this amazing man, just having the time of my life, feeling like a kid again, just enjoying my life to the fullest, I would have been like, what? But what I started to do is I started to vibe with a time in my life where I was really happy. I love to dance. So I tell people, you know, this idea of, and I talked about it on the last show, destination vibration. So 
picture a time in your life or a place where you just felt you had this emotion that you love. You felt really good. So when I dance, I feel joyful. I feel creative. I feel vibrant. It's sort of a metaphor for how I want to feel. So I would just visualize myself dancing. So visualizing myself, you know, when I was a kid, when I was five or six, and then I used to um, belly dance along the Charles River in, in Boston. And you know, just seeing myself doing that and magnetizing this energy. And now I'm in this place that really vibes with who I am on the deepest level. I never in a million years would think that I'd like living on this island with, you know, we've got like a mini mart and that's about it, but I love it. And I think I magnetized that and this wonderful person because I was really focusing and, you know, visualization is so powerful. I was visualizing how I wanted to feel and I drew that into my future. So if you're feeling really stuck, you know, just when you go to bed at night and you wake up in the morning throughout your day, visualize how you want to feel. And that will really help you to draw that into your life. It really does work. I mean, like attracts like it's, it's one of those laws, law of attraction that you can create the life you love, but first figure out how it is you want to feel and see yourself feeling that way. Excellent. Ellen, this has been fantastic having you back on the show here. Loved it. Where can people find out more about you? Yeah, you can just hopefully my website will be out by that too, but you can Google the Midlife Whisperer. Um, that's an easy way. I'm the Midlife Whisperer on Instagram. I'm Dr. Ellen's mastermind or Dr. Ellen Albertson on Facebook. So you can pretty much, if you Google Dr. Ellen Albertson or the Midlife Whisperer, I will pop up and I would love to help you wherever you are at on your midlife journey. So it's Excellent. been so fun being with you. Thank you for having me on again. Thank you so much for listening today. If you haven't yet, please connect with me on Instagram. It's just simply at Midlife Mastery Podcast, uh, well, over on Instagram. And so I love people's comments and messages and responses. And it's just, for me, it's a great place to connect. I, I really like Instagram. I like seeing what you're up to. And I love the encouragement and feedback that I get from all of you. So thank you. Please do join me over on Instagram, share this episode with friends, and just let's get ready to play bigger and make it an amazing midlife.